Welcome to Dale Kay's Big Backyard. I'm Dale Kay. This is the podcast that helps your garden um, be a little bit more beautiful. It's a place where we can swap ideas. It's also a great place to be if you want to learn a little bit more about gardening. And of course, that will be a little bit more nourishing for you and your family and your backyard will turn into your oasis. Coming up this week, we've got a great podcast. We've got some great gardening questions that came in over the week. I've got a little uh, little segment coming up. If people were plants, you're going to want to stick around for that. Also got the five hardest, not hardiest, the five hardest plants to keep alive indoors. Um, That should be interesting. Plus, I mentioned garden questions. If you've got a gardening question, it's easy to get a hold of me on Instagram, Dale K Garden Guy. Super easy. Dale K Garden Guy. If you'd like to email me a a question, got some pictures you want to share, my big backyard with Dale K at gmail.com. My big backyard with Dale K at gmail.com. But first, I want to get into um, a little bit of winter interest for your garden. It's February, it's after Valentine's Day, where I am in the Twin Cities. It's still bleak. Good chance it's kind of bleak where you are. If you want to add a little bit of interest, easy to do. First thing that you can do is go out to your favorite birding store, your favorite local garden shop, and buy a bird feeder. Two types of bird feeders you want to look for. One that can uh, accommodate or take in black oil sunflower seed. Pound for pound, dollar for dollar. And dollars are important right now because bird seed fluctuates. It's a commodity, basically. Bird seed fluctuates with uh, prices of commodity. Of course, black sunflower oil is also used uh, as a vegetable oil. And this winter, particularly early winter, South Dakota, where there's a lot, a lot of sunflower grown, they had a lot of bad weather. A lot of um, product wasn't moving out of that part of the country. So prices went up and they, they fluctuate. Anyway, bird seed is a commodity just like a lot of other seeds. So, But if you can get a hold of black sunflower that's the one. It's high in oil, high in energy. The other one is a thistle feeder, and then you want to put thistle into that. That will attract a lot of finches that stick around um, during the winter months. So go out and buy a bird feeder. The two best feeds again. Niger thistle for, for finches, and then just about every other bird that sticks around for the winter, and even squirrels for that matter, and, and all, all those other critters love black oil sunflower. It's high in oil. The next thing that you can do is, of course, incorporate plants that will not only attract birds, but have their own winter interest. A great group of plants, ornamental grasses, fantastic, fantastic plants. They grow in spite of us. What gets better than that? Within that group of, that broad group of plants, there's a family of grasses called Mythscanthus. They have the beautiful plumes that look great all winter long, all summer long for that matter. And they also contain seed heads. Or seeds. They are the seed head. They contain the seeds that birds go after. Brilliant. You got a two for one there. Also, a little bit of a head scratcher, but I like them for winter interest. Uh, Lake Panicle Hydrangeas. The Tavita type hydrangeas. They got that white bloom in the summer, turns pink in the fall, and then the flower heads stay on all pretty much all winter long. Some hydrangeas, like Annabelle Hydrangea, that big white ball one, the flower heads just kind of disintegrate over the winter, but the Lake Panicles stay on. Also, evergreens. Any type of evergreen is really a welcoming sight for our eyes this time of year. Also great for privacy, too. Fantastic for winter privacy. Why? You don't need a, a chain link fence for privacy to keep, uh, to keep the neighbors out, keep some unsightly things out. Evergreens, 
do a fantastic job. Also, some great plants that will attract birds as well to your garden. And birding is still number two. Still number two uh, leisure activity in the United States. Brilliant. Coralberry, serviceberry, aronia, and the malice family, crabapples. Absolutely fantastic for attracting uh, winter, winter wildlife to your backyard. We could spend a whole podcast on perennials. I'm sure we will coming up here. But there's a group of perennials, probably my favorite, okay, out of all the thousands of perennials that you can that you can buy and plant. There's one that is great for winter interest. That one, that group of plants is Echinacea or the Coneflowers. They're fantastic sturdy seed heads and birds love picking seeds out of the seed heads, which of, of course is the part that you want to leave up for the winter. So incorporating a bird feeder and planting some plants or, you know, getting ready to plan for spring. You know, a lot of times in the spring when we get ready for planting, it's we, we focus on color, 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 and all the veggies and all that kind of fun stuff, which is great. But maybe you want to think a little bit further ahead to the winter months. And, of course, you can plant all those plants I just mentioned in the spring. The bird feeder, you can you can act on that for some winter interest um, today. So let's get into some gardening questions. I had three of them. And don't forget, when you leave me a question, let me know where you're from. That way I can tailor your question to where you live and we can really kind of delve into delve into the issue that you have at hand. That really helps. First question is from Fiona. What is the best soil for indoor plants? And how can I tell if I'm giving them too much water? Well, Fiona, basically the best Soil for indoor plants is something that we call soilless. It doesn't have any dirt in it, essentially. And some national brands sometimes mix in a little bit of dirt. So make sure you go to your favorite local garden shop and ask for a soilless potting soil. I call I use one that's uh, made by Fertilome. It comes in an orange, basically a black bag with orange writing. I think it says all natural on it. Um, but it's fundamentally a soilless potting soil. How can you tell if your plants are getting too much water? Well, there's indicators. There's some, that, there's some that we can deploy and there's some that the plant will tell you. Plants are excellent communicators. The, if, it's, if a plant's getting too much water, it'll, it'll simply start to droop. That's the first indicator. And sometimes that can, gets confused with underwatering. So then you've got to deploy your own sensors. I use two of them, one touch and one smell. The first one touches, get your finger into the soil about an, or at least a knuckle down. That will tell you if it's, if it's dry or if it has adequate moisture. The other one is the nose. Noses are super, our noses are super sensitive. You can get your nose down into the soil. If it, if it smells dank, if it smells um, rotten, then that's oftentimes too much water. And if we have plants that are in a ceramic pot, decorative pot, um, or in a, some sort of decorative kind of foil or wrap, um, sometimes water collects in there and the our roots, the plant roots don't um breathe well enough plants need to breathe so your nose is a good indicator of some of those symptoms of overwatering. so if uh, a good rule of thumb is allow your plants to dry out in between waterings that that is basically for every single plant uh, that you can grow indoors let them dry out a little bit in between waterings and if they're in a ceramic or decorative wrap or pot or something like that bring them out of that for a little while especially after you water let's let some good air circulation around the roots plants need to breathe much like we need to breathe and that will that will help overall plant health so um, fertilome um, natural organic potting soil it's soilless 
and then also deploy those deploy two of our sensors and then also listen to your plants and sometimes that's the fun part can sometimes be a little bit of a challenging part of growing plants indoors but watch for their cues as well the next one next question is sean from st cloud Sean, you little ripper, thank you for telling me where you're from. I'm, I'm going to guess it's St. Cloud, Minnesota, so you're kind of in my neck of the woods. Any good tips to help my indoor time grow? So thyme is one of those great, it's not only an aromatic herb, but it's also a great culinary herb. I always keep thyme on hand. Actually, it really it dries really well too. So that's a, that's, that's a great one. So I use thyme for roast vegetables, whether it's carrots or potatoes. Um, it's adds great aromatic, great flavor to to your food. It's really good on the windowsill. The, the biggest thing with thyme is, or the most trouble with thyme is, it tends to get a little leggy and it gets woody. Those stems get quite woody and you tend to only have some foliage, the aromatic part, the culinary part on the, on the ends. So by pruning your thyme regularly really helps um, it regenerate growth and keeps it from getting too woody. The other thing that you want to make sure you do, it, it's from the Mediterranean, so it needs a lot of natural light, as much light as you can afford to give it that's not too close to a window. And then make sure that your, your apartment or your home is kept consistently above 60 degrees, somewhere between that 60 and 75 degree range. Probably closer to 70 than 60 is good, but those two things in conjunction will also help your time not only grow, grow but thrive during the winter months um, indoors. It, 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 but it does get woody, so just be aware of that and just prune it and hopefully it pushes out some new growth for you. Also, Aaron, and I wanted to talk a little bit about um, seeds and seed planting, but Aaron wrote in this week, when is the best time to start shopping for seeds and planting my garden for summer? It's a fantastic question because at this time of year, we get all the seed catalogs in, we get um, we get itching for spring and of course, you just naturally start to plant. So really, you can shop for seeds anytime. But when it comes to planting, you want to plan what you want to grow, what you want to eat. And those two things are fundamental. Only plant what you like to eat. And if you're in a family and you like green beans, but you're the only one that likes green beans and everybody else likes carrots, then sometimes if you're growing a lot of green beans, you're the only one eating them, then you end up giving them away or your family doesn't eat them. So grow what you want to eat and then um, plan when you want to harvest. And when you're shopping for seed packets, and for the most part, seed packets are pretty much out everywhere now, there's two really important pieces of information on the back of the seed packet. And the first first um, bit of tidbit of info there that you want to pay attention to is sprouts in. The second one is matures in. And sprouts in is sprouts in is the germination window. The matures window is once you plant it, how many days to harvest, essentially. The other little key piece of information on the back of a seed packet is um, like a lot number or a, or a use by date. And you want to make sure that your seeds are fresh. If you're using seeds from two years ago that you've kept in the garage, just be aware that seed germination rates do drop uh, quite substantially year over year. So you want to make sure you use fresh seed. So uh, pay attention to 
um, either not using old seed or when that seed was was packaged. From there, you get an old-fashioned calendar or plug it, plug it into your phone calendar. But basically, you want to know when you want to uh, harvest your food. That's key. Then add the sprouts in and the matures in, two numbers together. I always use the higher range just to be safe. And then you need to know your, your zone hardiness area that you're in, in the Twin Cities here with zone 4 or 4B, I think I, it is. And that will tell you the last frost-free date that you can safely plant outdoors. So by doing by by knowing your last frost-free date, then adding those two numbers together, that gives you when when it's time to seed. But basically, you can start planning for, um, and I talked about planning the winter interest for for birds and for uh, some visual effects outdoors. And you can also plan your your summer harvest right now. Also, paste also paste to know you know canning. Are you going to can? Are you going to eat things fresh? And then also be aware that when you're buying seed packets, there are some plants that you just directly sow right outdoors. You don't even you wouldn't even bother starting them indoors ahead of time. The most important reason for studying them indoors ahead of time is, particularly if you're in the, the upper Midwest, is we have a shorter growing season. So you can maximize the growing season by starting the plants, your plants earlier indoors. There are some plants like peas, beans, um, maybe even cilantro that you can just direct, we call it direct sowing. You just uh, directly seed into your veggie garden in the spring. And they're so quick at germ, uh, so quick at germinating, and so quick to harvest that you don't even need to start them start them ahead of time. So there's a lot of little little uh, nuances there, but have fun with um, going to your favorite local garden shop where you buy seeds from and start planting all those summer feasts and tomato basil salad and oh, so fun, so fun. And that's the best. That is really absolutely the best is harvesting your own your own veggie garden. So uh, Sean, Fiona, Aaron, I hope all that really helped. And Aaron really kind of touched on uh, that planning for spring. You can do that right now. And it's also fun to do. And then you can, um, of course, back your calendar back and start all the, that fun seeding. And we talked to Fiona, asked about potting soil for indoor plants. Make sure that when you're seeding, Aaron, uh, make sure that you use a seeding mix. It's a lot finer grind. It's almost like a fine grind coffee. It's a much finer grind of of potting soil or there's less bark in it, probably more peat moss in it. And that will allow your seeds to, to evenly germinate. Sometimes if, if your potting soils can be a lot coarser for seeding. So keep that in mind as well. Okay, a little segment called If People Were Plants. And... I kind of thought about this um, last week and there's, you know, there's, what is it? There's all those words for people. There's the princess, there's the nerd, there's the jocks, there's the neat and tidy person. Isn't that like an or attentive person or something like that? The neat and tidy person. But there's this, there's this kind of um, meme out there. There's this, there's this word and I apologize if you're a Karen you know, I personally love the name Karen, but for some reason right now, the Karen, if you're you're basically you're basically demanding, you're entitled and you're whiny. That's it, right? And I find myself chuckling when I hear people using the word Karen. So I, as I was thinking, if plants were people, who what plant would Karen be? And maybe now you're thinking, well, I know that kind of nerdy kid. 
I know that nerdy guy. What kind of house, what kind of house plant? What kind of plant would that person be? But I'm kind of like I I'm fascinated by this word Karen. So I started to think of what is the most demanding kind of entitled plant. And it took me it took me a second. I should mention I've been doing horticulture I don't know, basically my whole life, my, my papa, my grandfather taught me how to garden. I've been doing it professionally for 30-something years. But I actually had to sit back and think, like, okay, what's what, what plant would be a Karen? Well, I came down to it. I, I don't know if you're thinking the same thing, but maiden hair fern is that plant. Ma- maiden hair fern is the Karen of the plant world. It's demanding. It's entitled. It kind of looks regal. It looks Victorian. It can be kind of whiny. If it doesn't get what it wants, it gets kind of whiny. And at very, at worst, it just crumbles up on you. So there you have it. Maybe next week we'll do another one for, you, you let me know. If we want to cover the princess, the nerd, the jocks, the spoilt, you name it. I can probably put a plant to it. So this week's, uh, this week's if plants were people, Karen, your favorite plant, and back at you, is a maiden hair fern. Talking about plants that can be a little kind of tricky, I came up with a list of the five hardest, the five hardest plants to keep alive. And this isn't my list. This is a list. Um, th- this is a list that I that I saw in an article, and um, I thought quite interesting. And I wonder if I should put these in order. No, I'm not going to put them in order. The first one is fiddle leaf ficus. And that plant, oh my gosh, it it rose to fame over the pandemic. It was in every TV commercial for tides for everything from tide soap to to um office furniture, um in every lifestyle cable TV show. Fiddle leaf ficus. Probably the most popular plant to be purchased is also one of the hardest to grow. 61% of you have put that plant in the bin or the compost. The reason being is, and it's really just not fiddly ficus, it's actually um, really all ficus in general, they hate change. If you if you go on vacation for a week and you're, you set the thermostat down, it's those plants aren't having it. Any ficus isn't having it. And the fiddle leaf ficus is one of those plants that is probably on the, the finicure end of, of being temperamental of all the ficus. So one of the most popular plants, also one of the, the trickiest to grow. Gardenia, and there's a basic reason why gardenia is hard to grow indoors because it's basically a shrub in a lot of parts of the country, a lot of parts of the world. 56% of you had trouble growing that and the plant failed. And it's really nothing on your end. I guess some plant, there is no true indoor plant, nothing really indigenous to living indoors. It's really what plants can tolerate indoor environments best. And gardenia is not one of those because it's basically a shrub. Boston fern, 52% of you had trouble growing Boston fern. Reason being is ferns like high humidity, much like Karen, the maidenhair fern needs high humidity. Um, so a little bit tricky to grow. Best thing for ferns is um, let them grow in your bathroom where it's nice and humid, where you're taking showers. Fantastic spot for it. 
particularly if it's got some light and some natural light. Um, that's the best place for Boston food. 48% of you had trouble with this next one. It's probably on your list, on a lot of people's list, orchids. And I think where most people struggle with orchids is they just get frustrated once the blooms are done and they just uh, we just basically let them have a slow death from there. If you want to know, if you want to learn about orchids, uh, drop me a note and we'll dive into orchids. That's easy to do. The other one is a plant that's also on the popularity rise, uh, particularly on Instagram, is the zebra plant or aphelandra. It has a it has a yellow flower, has a very deep leaf, a, a deep green leaf with a really exquisite white margin in it. Um, the zebra plant, it is a true tropical plant, and it loves humidity, a little bit like the ferns, a little bit like Karen. So it's on the rise in popularity, which is pushing up its mortality rate for those of us that have trouble keeping um, high humidity in our homes. So there you have it. That was this week's um, podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have questions, of course, please let's share them together. Uh, it'll make it make this whole process a lot more fun about making your life a little bit more beautiful. Once again, uh, on Instagram, Dale K Garden Guy, that's the best way to get a hold of me or email me, mybigbackyard with Dale K at gmail.com. I hope you have a great week. Um, let me know what you're thinking about gardening. Let me know what you're planning on uh, to do this spring, what you're planning to eat, what you're planning to can. And we'll discuss them all here together next week on Dale K's Big Backyard. Dale K's Big Backyard is a production of Big Backyard Media. It's co-produced by me, Dale K, and Chip Elmquist. I'd love to hear from you and answer all your questions. You can reach me at mybigbackyardwithdalek at gmail.com, and I'll try to answer all your questions right here each week. Also, follow me on Instagram, DaleKGardenGuy. Thanks for joining me here on Dale K's Big Backyard, and we'll see you right here next week.